Parables with power. This is number five in our series of how many, I'm not sure. The parable of the friend at midnight. If you want to get a head start, you can go to Luke chapter 11. The Reader's Digest magazine contains a story of an employee who confided in a coworker. I told her about a problem in our office and a fear that I had that I might lose my job. And she was concerned for me and said she would pray for me. I happen to know she keeps a list of 10 people that she believes needs her prayers most. So I asked her if she had room for me on her list. And she said, oh, yes, because three of the people I prayed for have died. (laughs) Now, I guess if we ask somebody to intercede for us, we're wanting better results than that. And the parable today is all about praying for people, or as it's known in uh, Christian circles, the power of intercessory prayer. It is a doctrine, it is a little known thing to worry or to understand, intercessory prayer. Let's talk about it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this important and beautiful passage. Lord, would you just give us your mind as we look into it? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would collect all of our thoughts now, and that, Lord, any thoughts of the week, any thoughts of the day may be left behind, and that, Lord, we focus on your word. For those that are here, Lord, who have a loved one who's breaking their heart, for those of us who have someone we're praying for, Lord, would you teach us the power of intercessory prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, we're going to actually begin in verse 5, but just a little setting, verse number, five, verse number 1, Jesus had been praying in a certain place. Now Jesus, we're told often in the Gospels, pray. We talk about him praying early. We talk about him praying alone. We see that he had a closet. He went to, as it were, at one time he prayed in the wilderness. Another time he prayed on a mountaintop. But he was a prayer. And he was such a powerful prayer that the disciples looked at him and said, please teach us to pray. I think it's significant that they never one time heard Jesus preach and said, Lord, teach us how to preach like you. I think that's a great thing to preach, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't his preaching that they said they wanted to imitate. They never said, we want to be kind like you or have love like you, but they did say, we need, we must learn how to pray like you did. It was such a significant way. And so Jesus then told them what to pray for. In the first verses there, verses one through four, he taught them what to pray and that is to pray for the right things. And so in verses 1 through 4, what to pray for. And most of the time when we read that, sometimes known as the Lord's Prayer, we stop there and we finish our discussion about prayer. But the second half of this, which is the parable part, actually teaches a second lesson, a little less known way. Now, many of us struggle with what to pray for. I mean, we go to the Lord and we pray and we say, oh, Lord, uh, uh, bless us and, and, and bless us. And okay, I'm done praying. We just can't frame the words. And so Jesus said, all right, here's how you pray. And he gave us a pattern for prayer, what to pray for. But then learning how to pray is a whole nother thing. Learning what to pray for, yep. But then learning how to pray, and that is to pray the right way. First of all, praying for the right thing. Second of all, for the 
in the right way. And that's this lesson. In this lesson, he teaches three powerful and key ingredients how to pray. And so let's go to verse number five, because he's going to tell a parable. And remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, we can uh, take many parts of the parable and we can work with them. Now, uh, as someone once said, don't make a parable, walk on all fours. That means not every little thing we have to read something into, but for the most part, there's certainly teaching in all of it. Verse number five. In fact, let's read it together, if you would. Read, ready, begin. Verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? All right, so we had a friend. That's the Greek word philos, which means friendship. Not the eros, uh, which is uh, sensual love, or the agape, which is a godly love. So this is a friend ranging uh, from just a, an acquaintance all the way to a very close friend, we might say an intimate friend. Now in Israel and in really ancient times and in third worlds even today, often very dependent upon our neighbors. Um, if we don't work together, we will die apart because we really need to stick together in our neighborhoods. And so oftentimes they would uh, have several families, and uh, the concept of a village sometimes would come together. They would take several families and they would work on making the bread together. And uh, because they didn't have really uh, storage facilities, they couldn't, bread wouldn't last for very long. You know, if you have a, a piece of bread and you put it in the cupboard and you come back a couple days later and it looks the same, you're kind of wondering. If you come back a couple weeks later and it looks the same, if you come back a couple of months later, it looks the same, you got to know something's wrong with that bread. But that's not the way that bread was. I mean, in a couple of days, it was just moldy because it was good, fresh bread. And so they would have this bread there and um, they would have to share it together. So, uh, and they didn't oftentimes have a lot of uh, bread on hand. They would have a little. They would make it together, oftentimes just eat enough for that day, and the next day, make it again. And so that's what they would have to do. Now, the Bible says that this man had a neighbor or had a friend that came to him at midnight. Now, uh, midnight is not a good time uh, for anybody to come visit, for sure. And in fact, it's the worst of time. And uh, it's a bad time because uh, they went to bed quite early. You know, they didn't have Netflix, so they couldn't stream and binge on their favorite program, and uh, they didn't have their little cell phones. And so basically, what would happen is they would uh, be in their little uh, places there for a couple hours, maybe at the most, with their candles or their torches or whatever. And then uh, they would go to bed, often going to bed very early, maybe 7 or 8 o'clock, because the day started very early for everybody. I mean, boy, as soon as that sun was up, and even before, they were out there working. And so um, there they were. It's midnight. Now, they didn't have a Walgreens you can go to, 24-hour Walgreens, you know, or food store. And so in the night, this man gets a visitor. Visitors would often travel at night because of the heat around there. And so it wasn't really super uncommon for someone to, to come at midnight. Now, they came over to this friend's house. And it's at midnight, don't have a lot of food resources, can't just go out and get some. So what do they do? He realizes his responsibility. It's only 
right to be a good um, neighbor. It's only right to make sure that we feed somebody that comes. And so they come at midnight. He realizes they have no food, can't go any food, can't make any. And really, in many respects, probably didn't even have the, fo- the money, didn't have the food. And so what does he do? He decides he is going to go to his neighbor and he is going to uh, ask him for some bread. And so he goes next door. He begins uh, knocking on the door, probably not super loud, just wanting to get the man of the house up and says, friend, hey, friend, come to the door and open the door. Come and, and listen to me. Lend me three loaves. Now, I'm sure he hated to do so, but he was a generous man, a good man, and felt a sense of responsibility for hospitality. Now, let's look at verse number six. He said, a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Here he is. Uh, He has a friend that has come. They've traveled all night. He's there. He shows up at his house. He has a big dilemma. Do I be a poor friend or a poor neighbor? (laughs) What do I do? If I I don't feed my my friend, I'm a bad friend. If I go to my neighbor, I'm a bad neighbor in the middle of the night. That's a terrible thing to do. And so he said, uh, we've got to do something. And verse number seven, the man inside the house, the neighbor, says, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed and I cannot rise and give thee. Jesus now is speaking to his disciples. Now, I can imagine these men, these are godly men. These are uh, smart, brilliant. These are the top of the line Christian guys. He's already told them what to pray. This great doctrinal prayer, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They were writing down their notes. And now he stops and says, let me tell you a story. We've gone from uh, just that uh, good, solid praying to now college level, university level praying. And he illustrates it with this story. He said, now this man is in his house. He is sleeping when all of a sudden he hears this racket outside. Friend, friend, come and, and uh, open the door. Now this uh, conversation takes place through the walls or through this very heavy door. Remember now, he's not even opened the door yet. Now he said, and, and look, what the, look what the neighbor said. He said, trouble me not. Man, this is a bother, a friend. I mean, you're a nice neighbor and all, but this is a big bother. The door is now shut. Now, to us, we'd think the door is shut. Well, of course the door is shut. I mean, you're sleeping. But we don't understand. I mean, they didn't have a door that you just kind of swing on some little hinges, you know, and just kind of open it up. And I mean, every door in our house kind of squeaks a little, but, but I mean, at least it uh, swings open. But the doors back then was quite, it was a big deal, really, especially the front door. It was often secured in place by metal, and they did, uh, secured it in there. And once they were in there, I mean, they were in there. It was a big deal. If they unlocked that door, everybody in the house was going to wake up. Because it says, my children are with me in bed. Now, right there, I got to say something. That doesn't sound fun at all, right, right there. But... Um, you got to understand, it's a little different than what we're thinking. Basically, they lived in a one-room house. They had a little kitchen area, but it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a room. They would have a, a sleeping area, but it wasn't a room. They'd have a living area, but it wasn't a room. It was one big room. 
And so uh, when they would uh, sit down, they would all be together. They'd have little chairs and things. And then when it was time for bed, everybody went to bed. And they would kind of roll out some mats, maybe get some little padding there. But everybody went to bed in the same room. It wasn't like they were all you know, sleeping in this little bed. It just, they had, a, they had their mats out there. And so uh, everybody was there. Mom and dad were there. The teenagers were there. And the babies were there. And the father knows. He said, man, look. If, uh, if you don't, if you, if you wake us, if you do this thing, you are going to wake my wife up. You're going to wake my kids up. You're going to wake my babies up. He said, this is not going to work. And so look what he says in verse number eight. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And so he could have carried the story on a little bit further, but he fast forwards to the theme. And he said, here's the point. This man got what he got because of his importunity. Now, this is one of those times where the King James Version has to be kind of looked at a little bit. And there's a good 60, 70 words in the King James Version that you just take a little bit of extra work, but they're actually wonderful words. And you know, did you realize that the King James Version has the most single syllable words of any English translation. It's actually quite simple translation other than a few Elizabethan words like this one, importunity. And with a few little uh, Bible study guides, you can find out what that's saying. Now, importunity doesn't mean opportunity. That's just like, you know, having something we want to do and you get a chance to do it. So you do it. That's an opportunity. Importunity actually means boldness or even, it's a harder word, it means brashness. And so Jesus said, this man got what he got because of his brazen asking. I mean, honestly, who else would go at midnight and talk to their neighbor and cause a fuss like that? Now, I don't like to put people out. I know you probably don't like to put people out. It's just, it didn't make you feel good. But at midnight, I mean, uh, we live across the street over there, and if you can imagine going to one of our neighbors was just over there and pounding on the door, and they would say, what is the word you want, Pastor? Come on. I mean, you're a nice guy and all, but come on. Come back when it's a better time. Then Jesus gives the, this great teaching, verse number nine. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now folks, this is not just some tremendous piece of poetry, which it is. It's not just some amazing statement. This is an incredible reminder of how to pray. Not what to pray, but how to pray. We've already got the what. That's in the Lord's prayer. Now we're getting the how. He said, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. And then he uh, adds to that, verse number 10, he basically repeats it again, only says it in a little different way. And it, here he gives three very imperative verbs. He said, for everyone that asketh, receiveth, he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened unto him. And so he said, first level, I want you to ask. Second level, I want you to seek. That's the Greek word, zetaya. It is a word which means to strive. I want you to, 
I don't want you to just ask, but I want you to strive. I want you to put out there and try to make something happen. Put feet to your prayers. I want you to really strive after this thing. Don't just ask once and run away. And then he said, knock. Don't be reluctant to just keep knocking on the door. Verse 10 is basically a repetition of verse 9. Verse 9 was already amazing. Now he repeats it. I want to repeat something to you guys. Guys, listen to me. Ask. I mean, it seems like I shouldn't have to tell you this, but you need to ask. Then I want you to strive, seek. Then I want you to keep pounding on heaven's door until you get this thing. Be persistent, guys. This is how you pray. You've got to ask. You've got to strive after this thing. Keep asking, you know, make it try to happen as best you can in your human effort. Strive and then just keep persistently praying for this thing. And then he qualifies it by saying, and he does it in the durative. He said, I want you to keep asking. Ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. It's basically a, a word that doesn't finish. It's like, a, it's like the infinity symbol. It's just keep asking. Well, how long do I ask? You just keep asking. Well, how long do I seek? You just keep seeking. How long do I knock? You just keep knocking. You just keep knocking. You just keep seeking. You keep asking. They were blown away. Jesus was saying, read my lips. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. A few years ago, our former President Bush looked at the American people and said, read my lips. <laughs> no new taxes. I'm not sure how that worked out, but, uh, but I will say this. Uh, when Jesus says it, it's real. He said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Now, from this, we find three tremendous truths, three approaches to God in prayer. Number one, God wants us to come with boldness. God said, I want you to come with boldness. Verse number nine, he said, I am here. It's implied that if we ask, he's listening. <laughs> he said, I'm listening. I'm listening. Um, are you, I'm always listening. Uh, are you paying attention? I'm always paying attention. One of our daughters, uh, Elizabeth, uh, was kind of hard of hearing. And um, she, uh, when we were growing up, we would uh, talk to her. And sometimes she didn't hear. Sometimes she wondered if we were, if we were paying attention to her. She's a, an assertive little young lady. And so she would walk over to my face, grab my face, and if I was looking that way, she'd turn over, look me in the face, and she would say, are you listening to me, Daddy? <laughs> I'm listening to you, Elizabeth. I am. God is listening, he says. So ask. Come with boldness. I'm always gracious. I'm always merciful. I'm always compassionate. You can always come into my presence. So come boldly. Don't be afraid to come into my presence. The book of Hebrews kind of qualifies this. Let us, therefore, all of us, let us, therefore, on the basis of all these great truths, and you can read those prior to verse 16 and chapter 4 there, let us, therefore, come boldly to a throne of grace, giving us what we don't deserve, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The word boldness means freedom in speaking. It means to say what we want to say. It means telling it like it is. It means we can come to God and pour out our complaint. 
As David said in the Psalms, I'm pouring out my complaint to the Lord. You know, we have to watch our language sometimes with our spouses. We have to watch our language with our children. We have to watch our language with the people we're around. But there is somebody you never have to watch your language with, and that's with God. You can speak boldly and clearly, and you can pour out your heart to God. God says, I give you permission to speak freely. And that's the parable. And in this parable, the neighbor responded favorably, not because of his association, but because of his irritation. <laughs> he wasn't opening the door to this neighbor because he was just loved his neighbor so much. He was like, man, this guy is irritating me. Now, Jesus is using a very typical way that the Jews would tell a story and uh, they would uh, say this is the way it's done, but this is much more done this way, in contrast to God who never sleeps. First of all, you're going to go to God at midnight and you will not find him sleeping. He is always awake. Scripture says he never slumbers and he never sleeps. He doesn't even take a nap. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is not just a neighbor. He is closer to us than a neighbor. And so if the point of the story is, if God, if this man would give this neighbor because of his irritation, imagine what God would give, who's not a man, to somebody he's already told them, I want you to come to me. I want you to not just come, but I want you to come boldly at any time for any need. I want you to come and come into my presence. You know, it's important to plan I believe it's a necessary part of any successful project. But unfortunately, so many of us spend so much of our time preparing and planning, we forget the doing. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Just boldly come. Don't worry about this or that. Just come into my presence. General Stonewall Jackson had a very well-known and famous valley campaign. His army found himself on one side of the river and it needed to be on the other side. And so he quickly told his engineers to plan and build a bridge so the army could cross. He called the wagon master and urged him to do whatever they could do to make sure that we could cross, get our armies across as fast as possible. And so that wagon master, no engineer, gathered all the logs he could, got all the uh, barrels and the fence rails and anything else he could do to build that bridge. And long before daylight, they came to General Jackson and told them that the military had been able to cross that river. He was amazed. He asked, well, where are the engineers and what are they doing? The wagon master said, oh, they're back in the tent drawing up plans for a bridge. <laughs> you know, a lot of times in life, we're so busy drawing up plans, we just don't go to God and just say, Lord... I just need you right now. We're thinking about if this theological or is this this or would God answer my prayer? Man, just go to his presence and get your logs and get your rails and just build that bridge. God wants you to come before his presence. Come boldly. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great scholar, great uh, preacher from Britain said, pester him with his own promises. <laughs> I like that. Pester God with his own promises, kind of like a child does. Have you ever realized how many times in the Old Testament they would pray to God his words? They would remind God of what God said, as if God somehow forgot. Uh, 
I don't need you to remind me. I know. Actually, God loves it. It's kind of like when a child, maybe a little impertinent, comes and reminds you that you promised you would take them down to the ice cream store. You said sometime. I said sometime. Well, it's sometime, Dad. (laughs) Oh, but, and while we might be a little bit bothered, you know, at the time, like, you know, I don't have the time. This is not a good time. At the same time, there's a kind of a joy that they remembered that promise. And that's what God wants us to come. He wants us to come and say, don't feel like anything is a triviality. Notice what this man is asking for, bread. Now, on the list of things we pray for, I don't think bread is probably one of the biggest things we pray for. But God is saying, you can come for bread. You can come for just a loaf of bread. I am waiting for you, and I promise you, I will give you more bread than you'd ever imagine in your life. You'd say, well, you know, this whole thing about prayer kind of kind of spins inside my head because I understand God is sovereign, and God knows everything, and God is in charge of everything, and everything is done according to His will, and how is my prayer actually affecting this whole thing? But you see, God has always chosen to work through His people's obedience. He asks us to pray. He asks us to be part of this process. That is the process. In God's sovereignty, He has chosen to use us to change Him and to, and to work with Him. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come. And notice who he comes, what He comes for. He comes for three loaves. He didn't say, I just need some bread. I'll just, hey, neighbor, if you'd just throw out a loaf of bread or two, I don't care, just anything. No, he said, I need three loaves. I need three loaves. He was specific with his neighbor, and we need to be specific with God. When we're coming to God, praying for somebody, it's all right to say, God, I want you to, I want you to win Lodi to Jesus. Oh, God, I want you to bring Stockton to Jesus. But a better way to pray is for three friends. God, I pray that you'll bring John Smith to Jesus Christ. Dear God, I pray you'll bring Carol Jones to Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray specifically, I need three loaves. God wants us to realize we have a sense of responsibility in praying. Come boldly. He said, use the fact that they came to you. This is not just praying for the people in India, praying for the people in Africa. They came to his house. And there are people that come to your house. They come to your your house, your house at work, your house out in the world, and your house. They come to you. You realize that they have come to your presence for some reason. They're at your house. And when they've come to your house, you'd say, well, I don't have any bread. I know. None of us have bread. Pray specifically for that friend. A chaplain visited a delightful older saint in the hospital. And as he approached the bed, he noticed that with one index of her hand, one index finger of her hand, she was touching each finger and the thumb of her other hand. When she realized he was there, she looked up and said, I'm sorry, I, I was just praying. He was kind of taken back by what she was doing. He said, what do you mean? You're praying? Why are you doing this? And she said, well, actually, I'm repeating a prayer that my grandmother taught me years ago. He said, well, tell me what it is. And she said, well, I hold my hand towards me, 
And the first thing I see is my thumb. And that's my reminder to pray for those nearest to me. And then I see the pointing finger. And I pray for those who point others to God. Pastors and teachers and leaders and parents. And then I see the highest finger. And that reminds me to pray of those in authority. Our leaders, our politicians. And I know that they need our prayers. After that, I see the weakest finger. And it won't stand up by itself. And so I pray for those who are the sick and for the lonely and for those who are afraid. And then finally, the little finger. Well, that's me. I'm the little one. And I pray for myself. He was saying, that's amazing. What a great way to approach God. God wants us to pray for those that are around us. He wants us to come boldly and just say, God, I need it. Lord, I pray that you'll make this happen. We need to come boldness. And then we need to come with belief. This story teaches us to come with belief. Now, in verse number eight, let's let's dwell for a few more moments on this word importunity. Andadaya is the Greek word. It is a word which means more than opportunity. It means brashness. In fact, if you look at the word, you can look at it another time, but you can look at it, it actually means shamelessness. God said, I want you to come with brashness. Now, if we're going to come with brashness or shamelessness, we better believe that we're going to get what we asked for or else there'd be no reason to come and do that. It's a bold thing to do. It's a, it takes nerve to do that. And notice what it says in verse number eight. It says, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Now, sometimes Jesus is saying here, you're going to go to God and you're going to feel like he's a neighbor that doesn't want you there. You're going to go to God and say, uh, God, and you're not going to sense that God's there. I mean, it seems like the heavens are brass. It seems like the door is shut. Uh, God, are you listening? And sometimes you're going to go to God's presence and it's going to feel like he's a friend that doesn't want you there. Now, it's not the way he feels, but that's sometimes the way we feel. Sometimes we um, look at God and we say, God, are you there? And, but God is exactly the opposite. God is saying, don't feel that way. Don't ever feel like you can't come into my presence. The amazing thing about God is, even if you have a dirty heart, even if you have dirty hands, you can still come to the presence of the Lord. You just need to get them clean because God's not going to listen until we get that stuff cleaned up. And let's get you cleaned up and then we'll talk about this. But still come into his presence. And that's what he's asking us to do. But it's the opposite with God. He's using an opposite here. He's saying, a friend doesn't want you there. You don't have just a friend, you have a father. He's a father that does want you there. You've, you're coming in the middle of the night to somebody who doesn't want you there. I tell you, you can come anytime, and I do want you there. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, especially for you young ones. But when I was a little guy, I don't know exactly what age, and I can't remember which one of my... Um, little friends we did this with, but we used to have a little thing we would do on, we didn't do it a lot, but we did it a few times. We would go and uh, press the doornail, a doorbell on a neighbor's house. We would press the doorbell and then we would run. They would come to the door, open up the door, look around, you know, and say, what's going on? Now you can't do that today because they'll come out with a gun and shoot you. And, uh, 
But back then, you know, the neighbors didn't shoot each other. They just didn't do that. And uh, they'd call your parents and your parents would shoot you. And, uh, but we would go knock on, we would ring that doorbell and then run. Now, sometimes, friends, that's what we do with God. We go to God's presence, we ring the doorbell, and then we run. God's saying, man, where'd you go? Come on back here. Let's spend some time together and I will answer you. Come with belief. You don't have to run away as though I'm not going to answer you. Come with belief. The Bible teaches us to keep on praying and pray with belief. That's what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse number one. He spake a parable unto them to this end. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he went on to tell the story of this judge who he was so pestered by this widow lady, he just finally said, good night, you can have what you want to just get out of my presence. And the idea is God is like that judge, only he's a favorable judge, a loving judge. But we must come with belief. Now look at verse 11. And the story continues. Now let's read verse 11 and 12 together. Ready? Begin. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he, for him, a fish, give him a serpent? For if he ask an egg, will he offer him a serpent? Scorpion, excuse me. All right. Now, generally speaking, uh, fathers care for their children. And uh, so now he's saying, uh, this is a different situation. Now, our God is not just a good neighbor, but he is a wonderful father. He's a father that cares about you. Now, the analogy is this. When you come to your dad and you ask him for a piece of bread, a little loaf of bread, kind of looks like a rock. He said the father doesn't give him a rock unless you're having fun with your kids, you know. But, uh, but typically, you wouldn't give your child a rock when they ask for bread. Then he said if they come asking for a fish, you wouldn't, come, you wouldn't give them a, um, a snake, Probably the fish here looked, was probably an eel-looking fish. Uh, Pauline and I went and had uh, sushi the other night, I, I, and I get the kind that's deep-fried, by the way. And uh, if it ain't deep-fried, I'm not eating that sushi thing. But I noticed on the, on the menu there, you could eat eel. I'm not eating eel, I'll tell you them thing. They eat people. Why would I want to eat that? But anyway, um, so it, I think the idea is it's a kind of an eel-looking fish. So, but in, because you trick your kid and say, no, I'm not going to give you this little fish that looks like an eel. I'm going to give you a snake. Then he said, uh, if they come asking for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Some people have thought, what in the world? Well, an egg is round and yellow. Scorpions back then were yellow. And oftentimes they would ball themselves up. Uh, and so it actually could look like an egg if you weren't paying a lot of attention. And that would be a terrible thing to think you're biting into a, an egg and you actually bite into a scorpion. What kind of a parent would you be? And so the point being here that you need to come with belief. If you come for bread, he's going to give you bread. You come for fish, he's going to give you fish. If you come for an egg, he's going to give you egg. Expect God to give you what you ask for. And that's, that's the way it works. I know with, as a grandparent now, uh, we, ha we give away mints, and I, get, I have these little turkey sausages, and the kids will come. I remember not too long ago, one of our little Joseph Pollock, a couple years ago when he was still just about three years old, he came and said, Papa, can I have a mint? I said, well, sure, Joseph. So I gave him a mint, and he looked at me, and he said, can I have another one? I said, what do you want that one for? He said, I want it from my pocket. And uh, he wanted to put it in his pocket. And uh, 
So he needed one, but he needed another one for his pocket. Now they're getting smart and they say, can I have a mint? Can I have one for my brother? <laughs> can I have one for my sister and my aunt and my uncle? I know what you're doing. But uh, they come and they want something and I can't say no. And I have the hardest time saying it's just one mint a Sunday. Come with boldness, come with belief, and then finally come for a blessing. Now, now Jesus is dropping the hammer. So he told them what to pray for. I want you to pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I'm praying for your glory. I'm wanting your glory. I'm wanting you to be praised. This is how you pray. This is what you pray for. Now he's telling them how to pray. Now, when you pray, come boldly to God. When you pray, come believing that God's going to give you something. But number three, I want you to come seeking a blessing. And maybe more specifically, the blessor. Because look what he says in verse 13. Now he drops the hammer. He introduces this incredible doctrinal moment. Verse 13. If ye then, being evil, wait a second. Being evil? I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yep, but you're still evil. You are still evil because I have a sin nature. My sin nature never goes anywhere until I get to heaven, friends. I will have a sin nature. Just read Romans 6, 7, and 8. You'll find out about that sin nature. So we got this sin nature. Jesus said, you're evil. That is, you have a sin nature. You have this... uh, function of sin that's still, some, that's still working in there, this, uh, this sin that's working in there. But now, but know how to give good gifts to your children. Now you have this sin nature, but yet you still give good gifts to your children, good gifts. God gives good gifts. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And here he says, I want you to come and I want you to pray. And I want you to seek a blessing, and you are going to get that blessing. You'd say, well, how am I praying? Well, it's not, and notice what it says, he will give the Holy Spirit. You say, well, wait a second, I thought I was praying for bread. Why now am I praying for the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, when you pray for bread, it comes through the Holy Spirit. That's how it comes. Now, even though you have a sin nature... You can still cry out to God for bread, and He will give you the bread, but He will give you the bread through the Holy Spirit. You ask for comfort, He gives you the comforter. You ask for help, He gives you the helper. You ask for guidance, He gives you the guide. You ask for a gift, He gives you the giver. You ask for the effect, and He gives you the cause. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Folks, I need love. I need joy. I need peace. Then what you really need is the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God to be able to have the love, the peace, the joy, the patience that I need to carry on. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and long-suffering and gentleness. When we ask for a blessing, He gives us the blesser. When we ask for money, he gives, us the, he gives us the bank. He gives us the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And that's the key. I want you to notice verse number six. Notice what the man does. The man comes before his neighbor 
and says, I have no bread. And that really is the key to how to pray to God. I have no bread. I have no bread. God, I have no bread. I don't have love in me. I don't have enough patience, Lord, to carry on today. I don't have enough strength, God, to carry on. I have no bread. I don't have what it takes to stay faithful in this marriage. I don't have what it takes to be kind to those around me. I don't have what it takes. I just don't have it, Lord. I have no bread. I have no bread. And God said, that's why you're seeking the blesser. You're seeking the blessing. You're, you're needing comfort. I'll send you the comforter. You're needing guidance. I'll send you the guide. So while we're praying for patience, it's actually the Holy Spirit that we're praying for. While we're praying for strength, we're actually praying for the Holy Spirit. While I'm praying for wisdom, I'm actually praying for the Holy Spirit. God said, embrace the third person of the Trinity. God the Father sends you God the Holy Spirit who will come into your life, who will transform your entire life, and He will give you the bread. He will give you the eggs. He will give you the fish. And here, I think, is a, a very key thing to say in this whole thing, and that is this. Many times we wake up in the morning and we serve our children stones instead of bread. We wake up in the morning and we give our wife a scorpion instead of an egg. We wake up in the morning and those around us, we give them a snake and what they need is a fish. We are giving people things because we don't, we're not prepared. We get up in the morning and roll out of bed and we just march off into the day without seeking the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We are, we are just walking around handing out stones to people. Here you get a stone and you get a stone and you get a scorpion and you get a snake because we're afraid to seek the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, gentlemen, if you want to pray, if you want to get things done for people around you, if you want to be an intercessor, you've got to come to the Father. He's not just a neighbor. He is your Father. You can, you can, you can maybe offend your neighbor at midnight, but you'll never offend your heavenly Father who says, come at midnight. And you, give, you ask for bread, and you can give bread to your children, and you can give an egg to your wife or your husband instead of an old scorpion. So oftentimes, we try to teach in the power of God. We try to sing in, the, in, the, or in our power of man. We try to do something in the power of man. While everything we do, no matter what it is, should be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, look, here's how you do this thing. And he brings it all together at the end. He said, what you're seeking is the Holy Spirit. Seek the blessor. Sing, seek the blessing. Don't run off into your day without seeking God. Get up at midnight, and when you're feeling anxious, pray, Holy Spirit of God, I come, fill me and use me. I want fresh bread for my children instead of old, stale piece of uh, wonder bread. I want fresh bread. I want Ezekiel bread to give to my children. I want fresh bread for my wife. We're so often just, uh, we, are, we are running around without any eggs in our hands, without any fish in our hands, and without any bread. And it doesn't have to be that way. We so often think we're the ones that are getting the job done. I read of a fable of a woodpecker. He was pecking on a tree, and 
just as he flew away, lightning hit that tree and it split right down the middle. And that old woodpecker turned around, looked at that noise, turned back and said, man, look what I just did. And that's like a lot of us. We're like a little proud woodpecker flying around. Man, look at this house that I have. I got that house. Look at this job that I have. I got that job. Look at this career I have. I've got that career. Look at how nice I dress. That's me. I did that. We're like that silly little woodpecker flying around saying, that's what I did when all along anything good is because the power of the Holy Spirit, the lightning of God came into my spirit and gave me all those things. Friends, it is from God. God alone. Seek the blesser. Jesus said, come on now, get bold in your praying and then get full of belief. I'm not going to give you an old stone. I'm, I'm not like many of you. I give bread when you ask for bread. I give an egg when you ask for egg. You can come believing. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father above. Now he said, if you're a friend at midnight, you can pray for somebody. Now many of us have people that we wish we could talk to. I wish I could talk some sense into my son. I wish I could talk some sense into my friend. I wish I could speak to my parents about this. I wish I could speak to someone I love. But the fact is, we have no bread. We, we just can't do it. Our words are empty. They're like just old crackers. But I'll tell you somebody who can speak to your son. I'll tell you somebody who can speak to your daughter. I tell you, somebody who can speak to our parents. I tell you, somebody who can speak to those because it is God. God can do that. And God, they can reject me. They can be offended at me. But I will tell you, they can never stop my praying for them. I'm afraid you've gone and done it now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you and you can't stop my prayers. You can go anywhere you want, but I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit. God, I don't have bread. I can't speak. They won't let me talk to them. They won't let me give them the word. You'd say, well, I can't. They won't let me talk to them. It doesn't keep me from intercessory prayer, but I can pray for them. And God gives good gifts. Come brashly. Come with importunity. Come believing. And then come seeking the blesser, the Holy Spirit. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.